I've had a belly full of the god and priest business. You think I don't see my own mythos? Consult your data once more, hate. I've insinuated my rights into the most elementary human acts. The people eat in the name of Muad'Dib. They make love in my name, are born in my name, cross the street in my name. A root beam cannot be raised in the lowest hovel of Far Gangashri without invoking the blessing of Muad'Dib. Book of Diatribes from the Hate Chronicle. Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune Messiah. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open up a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. Yeah, and Mike, as we're cruising away through Dune Messiah, what kind of wine do we got today? Well, I thought we were going to do El Jefe Part 2, but I see a completely new bottle here. Uh, El Jefe didn't quite make it through the week. What is that? It's Line 39? Line 39. It's, it's talking Chardonnay. about the 39th parallel, cutting through California. I oh. guess that's where their winery is. I don't think there's any other significance to that parallel and wine. <laughs> Well, Derek, mm-hmm. uh, you, you sort of surprised me with that before we started, so I, I looked up some, something real quick. What was that? I looked at the 39th line in this chapter. And the, okay, that's going to go in pretty well. Yeah. What'd you come across? <gasps> the guild navigator wore his usual dark leotard <laughs> bulging at the belt with various containers. <laughs> that's our, uh, all right. <laughs> so make of that what you will. Make of that what you will. The 39th line. <laughs> that's a good gambit to do with that, though. Looking yeah. up something for it. But. It's a delicious white wine, that mm-hmm. aside. We got to jump into this quote at the head of this chapter, Mike. All right. I don't think we have any. We have no admin we got to deal with, right? No business? No CH business? I, I don't think so. On? I think we're good to go. Okay. Good, good, good. What What'd you think of this? This is clearly uh, Paul lamenting about his position in yeah. life. Yeah. Uh, the situation we know he's been in for the longest time. You know, he can't do anything without building up the myth that is Paul, mm-hmm. uh, even when he tries not to. And here he is telling, talking to hate, clearly like extolling about this so like i hate this everywhere even like they have sex in my name kids are born in my name mm-hmm. cross the street in my name this is probably just him letting loose with someone he feels he can trust because like he can't really say this from the guards even though he kind of does he puts corba in his place quite a bit mm-hmm. so i don't but, know yeah they don't re- they don't respond to it though no they don't right like this then suni meant Definitely couldn't mm-hmm. meet you on that level and have that conversation. Everyone else would always try to persuade him or calm him down or do something reactive on like an emotional level. Right. And based off of this itself, it does seem like hate is going back and forth with Paul here. They're yeah, having a conversation yeah. oh, of some as, sort. As always, Frank is never going to show you the full scene. Sure. You know there's extensive on <laughs> each side of this. Now, do you think this has already happened or this is going to happen oh, as I hadn't far considered. as where we are in the chronology? I feel like this is probably something that's already happened. Already happened, maybe in tandem, even. Probably. Something very close up. Because I, I we, kind of agree. Yeah. Like, obviously, yeah, we're never going to be told. We're not going to walk into this conversation at some point. Uh, I do think we're going to come to a head and see the events turn where we'll be like, oh, clearly it's not past this point. Sure. Uh, their relationship is going to change and things oh. like that where it wouldn't be this level. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're building to a head. Sure. Now, 
What about the Book of Diatribes from the Hate Chronicle? He's got his own chronicle. That alone, I mean, that that gives him a lease on life for a little bit, right? Like, <laughs> he's a unless, unless he's penning it right now. That's it, yeah, yeah. But uh, a book gets published in his name. In Hate, too, not the Duncan Chronicle. True. Ah, I told you. Yeah, yeah. Told, well, you told me what? <laughs> his name's Hate. Hate, that's true. Stood the line there. Uh, is there anything else you want to pull from that little header? No. Uh, well, where's Gengatry? Um, Just where, a little where, where do you want it to be? <laughs> I don't know. It sounds. It makes me think of like India. That's what I kind of like get the uh, etymology from as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Otherwise, you should probably go with like Genghis Khan kind of Genghis thing. Shri. I think it's the Sri. Like I think like Sri Lanka and mm-hmm. places like that. Somewhere in that uh, aspect of like, is it Southeast Asia? I want to go in that whole corner? Sure, sure, there, sure. Paint a Sindhu. But yeah, I don't well, know. Whatever it's, it is, it's the bad part of town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> or, yeah, it's what it yeah, insinuates. Yeah, lowliest hobble of far. You know, I, I think it's a planet. Oh, I was thinking that is like the like the ghetto of this far flung, back flung world. Kind sure, of, sure. Like, just escalating down. But I, were you thinking possibly like a neighborhood on somewhere? That's what, I was, that's what I was kind of thinking. It could, be, yeah, it no. could be in the keep for all we know, Mike. Like, <laughs> so far. The lowliest hovel in this keep. He would keep a ghetto in there. Why not? Um, yeah, yeah. So I got, I got nothing for you there. Nothing right. but dreams. Oh, we know trees grow there, though, because they have roof beams. Ah. <laughs> Big mystery from before. All right. Well, enough of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get into this uh, this chapter. It's short, but it was action-packed. Yeah, there was a lot going It's so nice to have Sightail. And Edric. And Edric. <laughs> Even Frank makes a little bit of room for I him. I feel like time. I've won you over to Edric. Oh, no. We're going to go hard against him for this whole chapter. <laughs> oh, no. Because ultimately, I think the ambassadorship has gone to his head. <laughs> I think I think he's got a, he got a taste of power, and now Edric's like, I'm in charge. <laughs> Look at me. Yeah, I mean, and in a way, he is the rock solid of the conspiracy thus far. Yeah. He's the only one who hasn't broken. Yeah. Gaius Helen's pretty much turned tail. Like, yeah. She's cut deals with the Bene Gesserit. We have no idea what Sidetail's up to, but he told us in the beginning he wants to cut a deal with Paul. Yeah. Ultimately. He's got his own agenda. Irulan, she's already like, well, I've been spent, so I'm going to do this my way. Hate or uh, <laughs> there's the only one that's still he, following the plan. Like, only because he <laughs> thinks everyone else still is. <laughs> oh, no. He's, <laughs> he's too trusting. Yeah. <laughs> How can you not love this guy? It's because they take the simple path, Mike. They <laughs> never see it coming. He's a stand-up fish man. He really is. Um, and the side tale is visiting Edric right now. So mm-hmm. we are in this ambassador residence. Whatever it was, uh, I think, wasn't that at that Stilgar meeting we were talking about opening up the embassy? Yeah. I think we're in that building, I hope. Okay. And... Uh, Edric right away gives Sightail a little shit for leaving his post, quote-unquote. It's like, oh, okay. Well, that means there's somewhere he's expected to be. Yeah. There's some job that this guy is performing, and I think it would have to do with uh, Otham's daughter. It, oh, is that it? Because I, w- I was I, I feeling that the post was the, this guy he has with like accompanying Edric as part of his but embassy. Then, but then he would be with Edric already, wouldn't he? Right. So how would he be leaving his post coming here? Are you, oh, are you was, saying like he would already be with Edric in no, the whole thing? Even the post would be like, oh, Sightail's doing his own thing on the side. Oh, you think it's sort of a euphemism? Not, yeah, like not on the way here. Mm. Just the idea that like he's supposed to be here, but like, hey, you were gone for a few hours. Like, okay, okay. What are you doing? I guess before we go, you think that uh, Edric 
has been noticing that Sightail left some point today yeah. kind of deal. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. I think you're not giving him enough credit. Sure, sure. No, I've been thinking they're all doing their own thing based off of how independent we saw Sightail with the Farouk. Where, like, he clearly, sure. no one was supervising him. He's got his tasks to do about, amongst mm. the city. Uh, and that I think there's somewhere he's supposed to be that Edric is just like, mm, you know, I, I have my spies and my network and whatnot, like... And kind of like, yeah, where oh. have you been? This is this is coming to a head. But so nonetheless, we're here now. And uh, something is bothering Sightail. He is agitated. He is not steady. And Sightail tell or no, I'm sorry, Edric actually lets us know. I thought at first this was from Sightail's point of view. And I thought it was interesting. He would know that the guild has this night um, cycle that it goes through. But it's from Edric's uh, head that we get that idea mm-hmm. or that concept. So Edric is not fully out of his night cycle. It's basically Edric hasn't had his coffee yet. He's <laughs> in this sort of reduction. So he's not as sharp as he needs to be. Right, though. right, right. Um, and I think uh, at first I thought that would be like, oh, Sightail knows he has them at a disadvantage. But really, this is Edric knowing he is personally at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. But Sightail not knowing. Like, this is the one time where Edric gets to have all the cards. the cards. Yeah. Um, we gotta like really celebrate this. And uh I think it's Edric notes that Sidetail is ultimately too confident in his phase dancer abilities. When he chastises them for leaving his posts, Sidetail is just like, no one would even suspect the forms I've taken. Today. Yeah. So we know he's taken a couple. A couple, right? Yeah. And it's just like that uh that overconfidence, mm-hmm. right? It's the arrogance of it. Sidetail notes it. Uh, but then Frank. He cuts in because he's like, yeah. we, we can't let Edric have this. We're gonna give no, no, we're gonna give one to Edric though, right? But it's like it's a it's a backhanded compliment because <laughs> sure. Edric thought with rare insight, <laughs> no. and I'm like, yes, that's why I hate Edric. Like, you're, the author is telling you it's okay. <laughs> I, and it, I, maybe Frank even slipped there. Let's know how he felt. Uh, but I love that. Uh, that's a great little bit. And we had them both sort of judging each other here. And I, we haven't seen Edric really size somebody up before and get something right. Uh, mm. Like, now he's playing at the level when we had uh, Gaius Helen and Sightail talking around him. Sure. He's he's there. Um, now, he, or it's Edric also wonders if his prescience in the conspiracy truly hid them uh, from all oracular powers. The sister now. Again, we still don't really know. Don't know what. What are Aaliyah's powers? It's, good. it's important. I feel. Yeah, you want to take you want to take a stab. How how far do you think her powers go? I don't know. Clearly, I honestly clearly, don't. it's definitely beyond whatever the framework Frank has set up. Sure. Right? Otherwise, this would be the greatest like uh, red herring that you could put into a book. I mean, I feel like it's got to be something akin to Paul's, but like definitely. I mean, like adjacent. Not think not the uh, the exact. I think, yeah, we recognize Paul, is, he's always going to be one step above mm-hmm. just because that's how the Atreides work. Uh, sure, yeah. But we don't know where his limit is either entirely. Uh, it's just interesting that right now there's everyone's just got a question mark. Mm-hmm. And I love that this is all in the wake of Paul taking that massive spice hit. Yeah. So no one can read the future anymore. Like, the, he literally blanketed over the universe. <laughs> he did not muddy the water. He just oil spilled the entire yeah, thing. Yeah, but it was like a defensive tactic. Yeah, sure. He, he did like the octopus. Like, Is that why he did that? It's going to... I thought it has it was, to... I think he... It's like twofold. 
Right? So like, like to one to permeate it, and then two to make sure no one else could do that. Yeah, well, y- you can't do one without sure. the other. That's, I don't. I couldn't ascribe his motivation to it, but the result is definitely. I, I feel this, like right? like that's uh, a very mentat thing for him to do. Yeah, yeah. He, he wouldn't be uh, oblivious to that notion. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a calculated kind of thing. I like that. I didn't consider that the first time we like we read him doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, because he he seems so desperate, mm-hmm. and he I think and he was. He really wants to avoid this fate with Cheney. And, and I think what we we locked on last time, right? We're on the rails as far mm. as prescience is concerned. Yeah. Cheney's fate is sealed in whatever Paul has like. And like whatever choice is coming up here. Yeah. Which he's super vague with every yeah. time. Um, but let's, let's continue on here. Uh, Sightail, his ultimate request. What does he want to do, Mike? What does Sightail come here to pitch to Edric? We gotta, we gotta get the gola back into action. We need to prod the gola into something. Yeah, we gotta speed things up with this gift because the emperor is trying to divide them already. Now we saw him; he pulled out guys Helen right yeah. away. Like, yeah, he's honed in and he's like chipping away at them as best he can. Uh, Sightail somehow knows about that offer to the Bene Gesserit then, because oh. he references he's already made his overture to the Bene Gesserit. Interesting. So, and again, that's why I think he's he off have doing his own thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who knows what face he took, Mike, when he slipped in there. Could have been Stilgar one of these days. I don't want to believe that. A creature. Um, Edric, though, he is aware, and he just goes, oh, that. <laughs> like, that's a big that to just throw aside, right? Why is Edric able to, like, roll that off? I don't know. I mean... And, oh, I guess, again, prop Edric, you got all the cards today. Yeah, he really does. Unless he's bluffing, in which case, even better. Do you think maybe he doesn't care? Maybe, you know what? Maybe he does have his own agenda. He brought Gaius Helen Mahayim here, maybe knowing full well that she would be, like, called down to the planet. Ooh, well, she thought Guild Perfidy. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, I can't do anything about it. It's the Emperor. Yeah, he could. That could be a good sign that yeah. he did throw her under the yeah. bus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm on board. I love it. I got nothing to take away from you that time, Mike. You just get a golden star. <laughs> um, Sightail insists, though, that we, we have to do this. And uh, this brings us to our excerpt from last week here. Mm. And this is Edric turning to him. He comes up right to the, close to the glass, too. Like, <laughs> And I just think of, like, a fish eye coming to that window oh and God. him just being like, did you lie to us about the Gola? Because you said... Aim it and release. Nothing more can be done. But now Sightail's here telling him, prod the Gola. Do something. And you know, he's like, what What do I need to know? Why are you asking me this now? You no, know, as much shit as you give Edric, he's like, he's having a pretty intimidating moment here. He's, no, no, he's trying. I think <laughs> right now he, he gets to put Sightail on the spot. He does play, that's the right move to make. Sure. Of like, push this guy. You need to know. But he also, he folds like nothing because... Sightail doesn't give him anything, and he's just like, any Gola can be, um, what is he, I don't want, I want to mix the word up. I think he says any tampered go- with. Disturbed. Disturbed, thank you. Yeah, we used tampering before. Yeah. You just have to remind them of their origin. It's like, okay. It's like, why? What is disturbed going to mean? And, like, Edric has no follow-up for that. Or, like, why would he agree to any of this? Because Sightail's also not willing to tell him what this will do. Mm-hmm. He just says disturbed. It's like, why would I want to disturb him? All right. I want to take a guess here. Stab in the dark. Okay. So, big... Oh, you think that's what he's going to do? Oh. oh. <laughs> Give him the maid's treatment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. <laughs> the Yui <laughs> treatment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 
what I'm thinking here is we know that hate. He just wants to know who he is, who mm. like who he was, wants to tap into those memories. We're told that like, or you've told me at least that they're not able to access memories. Like they're just like not the same person. They've got some things, but like not all of them. What you've seen uh, this Gola already show us, right? Like he has these, sure. he, like any muscle memory seems to be there for Duncan, right? I think that they are all there mm -hmm. and that maybe Paul can sense that, which is why he is like sort of opening himself up to the goal a bit. Maybe he doesn't know that, but he's like, there's something about Duncan in that. Well, would he have seen it? Maybe. I don't know. Because everything's muddied. So. Oh, I just, well, no, no, he's seen the visions as they go. Cause remember he knows Cheney's fate, but right now he can't see it. Sure. Sure. But he, like, so it could just be on an Avenue. So, kind of deal. All yeah. Mean. Maybe he does know that there's some Duncan in there and that, uh, Maybe Sightail has arranged it so that like he can open up certain floodgates of that memory and allow that into hate. Because that would screw up a Mentat super hard, having all of that rush back into you. Ooh, you think, uh, is it kind of relying on the Tau? Uh, ooh, yeah. That would be a, a good conduit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, yeah. we've seen that affect Cheney. Mm -hmm. So you know you can like uh, stretch from a exceptional atreides to a normal person <laughs> sure. right? like just we know they're different like yeah, yeah. they can interface with normal people uh, and have that effect all right so you're thinking that okay but so what does that accomplish i don't know <laughs> all, all you gave is like so paul gets a best friend and they live happily ever after yeah. like <laughs> where does the control the fact this is disturbed though i don't know mm -hmm. oh man maybe knowing that it is duncan might actually like break something in paul i don't know it's hard well, to say. What is what is hate's uh what's hate gonna do from the Tlaxu perspective? Like what why'd they give him to the Emperor? Well, was psychic poisoning. I yeah, guess exactly. Like, yeah, like not any hypothetical, just sure. straight up what have we been told in the book? Like to destroy him, right? Sure, sure, sure. Now reach into that remember that quote that Sightail keeps bandying about all the time through this whole book? Which one? Of uh somebody will destroy themselves but turn before turning into something they're not? Sure. Oh, well, hmm. that he's not always just talking about Paul. That's true. This is a ben, this is a face dancer, Mike. Nothing is as it seems. Oh man! What if we applied that? Do to you a think Duncan? that hate would kill himself? That's what the Quisatch Hatterock would do. Yeah, you know, no, I don't like, know if that's what a Duncan would do. But <laughs> true. But like, I just want to say that that internal dilemma. This is clear. This is something. These are all pieces from this one puzzle. If hate killed himself because of like that. Like, uh, everything coming back and sort of, like, not really knowing who he is anymore. Being disturbed. That would destroy Paul, I think. That would be an emotional... I feel just... like I've just, like, pulled a rug on your happy fantasy. Like, oh, now it's just full of suicides. Best... And, like, <laughs> from besties to suicides. You got, like, a weird Romeo and Juliet. Like, if he goes, I go. Janie, <laughs> you're coming with me. I can't do it twice. I can't do it twice. <laughs> I can't say goodbye twice. Maybe, though. I think that's a good idea. All right, all right. Let's let's hold on to all that then. So you're definitely you uh, you want to see you want to see something with this Duncan this Dunk or uh, yeah this, this, this Duncan this Duncan hate, hate like the goal he's a sleeper cell he doesn't know it but he's about to be activated sleeper cell that is a great like double on top like yeah. literally cellular it's all in there the sleeper <laughs> has awakened all right I like it your whole theory we're gonna keep an eye track on it sure. see where it goes uh, follow it on the board Edric. Is going to let all this kind of pass. It just land on aim and release. Nothing more. Sightail instructs him what to do. And telling him this would disturb any Gola. This is, is what uh, Sightail says, right? This mm -hmm. would disturb any Gola. Is that a truth or a lie, Mike? Oh, I don't know. 
Because again, hate is a very particular gola. I don't know. All right, all right. Uh, Sightail is enigmatic on what exactly it will do, but he just tells Edric it will stir him to actions which will serve our purpose. Mm. Again, this is where Edric is a letdown for me. There's no follow. <laughs> he's, he just accepts that. To be fair, it is Edric's sleepy time. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. That, yeah. Is, that was given to us. <laughs> you can't count on him during sleepy time. <laughs> I bet he still has like a little like uh, stuffed stuffed animal He's in there. He's wearing like pajamas, like a big old like cap. Oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like a long cap, like a very Scrooge kind of cap. It's holding the glass of spice in his tank of spice. Yep. Uh, now Edric, he's he tries to object to this a little bit, and he's like, "Look, he's a mentat. What if he sees what I'm doing?" And what about the sister? Mm-hmm. Always, always. Uh, if her attention is focused upon. And Sidell, he like I said, he's not doing well right now. He's very yeah. agitated and he is snippy. And he's like, "Do you hide us from the sibyl or don't you?" Just cutting right at him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Oh, okay, man, where's your cool demeanor that we saw before when like you were smacking Edric around yeah. a little bit? Like, <laughs> you're on edge." Uh, Edric, though, he's pretty. He no concern for oracles. He tells him. He's concerned with the physical manifestations of the Empire. Yeah. The actual spies. The actual people out there. And this is the one where I think he really tips his hand with control of the spice. That's what he's saying he's concerned with. That's all he wants. It's the physical avenue to get spice. That's what matters. Mm -hmm. And if anything gets in the way of that, he will turn on all of you. Well, that's the thing. That I mean, that was the linchpin in the entire like rise to power. Yeah, that was how Paul got yeah, power. Yeah, if he didn't uh, have that on the guild, the guild wouldn't have backed him. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't have a choice; they were strong armed. Yeah, Paul was willing to use the water of death and put it out in the desert and just end it all. Yeah, permanently. There would have been no. You never would have been. Able it would to have do destroyed it. the entire Imperium, and the Fremen would have been happily ever after. Yeah. Yeah, they they have no reason to leave the planet. Like, if the guild left and no one could come to Arrakis again, that really would have been the perfect answer to everything. I mean, wouldn't they have eventually died? No. No? Uh, oh, if you well, kill all the spice? Yeah, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They all have blue eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they would all die, but you yeah. could raise some kids. You'd survive. Sure, okay. <laughs> I mean, Mike, it's not like their life has been great up to this point. Like, <laughs> sure, they sure, know, They know trials sure. and hardship. I think, remember when they left, um, when we did the deep dive of the Fremen journey through yeah. on the ice planet, they turned, they left all the elderly, and they were yeah. just like, peace. That, was that the one where they learned, like, the Bene Gesserit? Uh... I think it was just... Yeah, you know, it, it might have been on Rossick or the planet after that. Yeah, because I, I, like I thought it was a particularly cold planet. Yeah, yeah, uh, and they teamed up with them. It might, yeah, it might have been that very one. But mm. nonetheless, they, leaving them behind, they were willing to make that sacrifice right. for the longevity of their Dang. like tribe. Okay, okay, okay. They they got it in them. I know it. I know it. Um, but focusing on this, I also like uh, just the physical powers of the Imperium, referring to spies and stuff. Mm. Very cool. We know Paul has this very elaborate network. That's how it would, like he was raised. And with everything so muddied within the uh, the prescience, spies is going to be king right now. That's true. I think that's, maybe that's Edric not exactly telling him of his own limitations right now. Yeah. Because that is in response. Like, do you hide us from the Sibyl or don't you? And Edric, maybe it's not confidence. I'm not afraid of oracles because he's like, no one can see shit right now. <laughs> There are no oracles for the time being. 
And that's why I'm not. Cons- I'm more Edric, concerned. Edric just wants the brass tacks. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, like right now, I'm just an ambassador <laughs> with a clipboard. Like I can't do anything. He's really not even protecting the conspiracy. <laughs> they, yeah, because you can't look. Oh God! It's like so, I guess is distracting Elite even necessary at this point with her distracted by hate? Well, is no, no. He, He's just concerned with her. What do you What do you mean about distracting well, her? Well, because I mean, hate or uh, sorry, uh, Sidetail. Oh, nope. sorry, <laughs> not three names. It took us three names. Yeah. Sidetail sort of like had a double purpose with uh, the Duncan Gola. Oh yeah, because like you know something handsome, something to distract her, maybe sort of mess with her a little bit. Um, we keep keep going back to this motif of like, but what about the sister's powers? What can mm-hmm. she do? We don't fucking know. But we just know that, like, we should just distract her just in case. Yeah. Maybe she can actually do something here that we don't know. Right. Maybe the smutting waters doesn't affect her. Yeah, I mean, that that seems to be the fear. But uh, didn't we have Paul last chapter kind of confirm for us that's not the case? Because Aaliyah didn't see the same future he did. Sure. She was asking questions that, like, she wouldn't ask if she actually had seen sure, anything sure. close to what he knew he was walking into. Right, right, right. Um, and maybe it's not just, like, looking with the prescience. Maybe there is something else there. Yeah, maybe she can pierce, like, uh, uh, this, like, prescient protection that Edric has. Definitely. Or, I mean, like, I, I've always told you, like, the golden path is something that's there that Frank will describe later. Mm-hmm. We always have that avenue of just something that's present, but we're not going to be aware of it until she finally is like, oh, by the way, I can see down this third avenue Whoa. of, like, it's always clear over here. Do you think she's going to be that deus ex machina and have, like, the... the... No, you know what? Maybe not. <laughs> I find out Frank. Maybe not. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people die in this book. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people have gone down quick. Yeah. yeah. I immediately talked myself out of it. Mm-hmm. And now uh, I think Sidetail is going to try to actually this one more time where as Edric complains about these powers of the Imperium, uh, Sidetail cuts in of one can contemplate the Emperor when and his powers comfortably if one remembers that all things are finite. Now, that's coming after Edric mentions the spice. And I think that you want to bind those together. Mm -hmm. The spice is finite. The emperor is finite. All of it is. Therefore, your mind can, like, we can encapsulate it. We can comprehend this. It is able to be rationalized. Edric recoils in agitation to this. Uh, and I think it's a little bit of like tell, you know the reminder that the spice is a, a That's single his, resource, yeah. right? Like it has these limits to it. Um, maybe amongst other things, Sightail feels loathing at seeing this like flailing fish sight. Ah, <laughs> uh, nobody is feeling great right now. <laughs> and again, Sightail notes like how uh, this is a very weak conspiracy. None mm-hmm. of them actually have any bonds with one another, mm-hmm. other than like we're against Paul. Sure. Which uh, I think I've brought this up before where that's the weakest political situation you can be in when you're against something and you don't know what you're for. Mm. Uh, you can't build off of that. So there, he's already knowing, like, we're going to find ourselves in a power vacuum as soon as Paul's gone, and only one of us is going to fill it. Edric, though, is wondering what plot Sightail has to save himself. Mm. Any thoughts on that, Mike? What do you think Sightail's got up his sleeve? Oh, I don't know. Is Otham's daughter part of the conspiracy or part of him? Oh, what do you mean? Like, is it just, is that Sightail's out? Is that what he's left his post for? Or is that like something, uh, 
Mr. Edric is in the know of that like Gaius Helen would have uh, approved. Maybe. I don't know. I want to say, because you know how everyone's sort of like doing their, playing their own game now? Mm-hmm. Like we had this group and we're doing our own thing. I think maybe uh, not only Scythill looking out for like a way for him to sort of like win overall, mm-hmm. but a way to sort of like hold something over. I just like the idea of somebody winning, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I did. <laughs> the, the whole sort of like uh, some sort of power over everyone else. Mm-hmm. Like we know the spice is a big deal for the guild. If uh, Saitel was somehow able to get like uh, like a worm off world, I bet like that's some power over Edric. Mm-hmm. Not that I think a worm would actually survive off world, which I still don't know why. I think that's like a tricky thing in my worm theory. I haven't quite ironed out yet. Well, to start, you uh, you need the sand trout. Yeah, yeah. Like if you just take the worm, it doesn't have the vectors for its life cycle, and it can't do its. Thing. Oh, that's fair. You need you need the sand trap the sand trap of the magic trick. Sure. If Does take, anyone else know about them? Every Fremen. Well, the, oh, and then oh, yeah. the yeah. Imperium. In the Imperium? Yeah. Uh, as of when? Um, within the last twelve years. Wait. Uh, up. But you're going to count the current year? I'll tell you. In the current year, somebody does. <gasps> At least one other person outside the Fremen knows about the sand trap. Well, you know who's been spending some time with Fremen. Who's that? Yeah. I mean, everyone on Araka. Yeah, <laughs> true. We've all been rubbing elbows. But... True, but he's been able to disguise himself as a Fremen. Ooh, yeah, yeah. That's true. I don't know. Oh, man. I mean, can you imagine a Benedict Laxa with a Chris knife, Mike? The places they could go? <laughs> that actually sounds horrifying. Yeah, you would think that would have been high on their to-do list. <laughs> you would have thought For, so. like, all time. <laughs> Get Why that? didn't that happen? I mean, that could just be another story. I mean, they probably just didn't know enough about the Fremen, to be honest, though. I think Frank didn't know enough about the Benetelaxel. <laughs> <laughs> this all came after Dune, <laughs> in a way. In a way. All right. I've been keeping us good. That was, that was a good little detour there. Um, let me see. Where do we leave off of uh, oh, the plot to save himself? Yeah. Now, Sightail, I think he's basically doing the same thing. Um like wondering what is Edric doing to save himself? Sure. Like already, you know, Sightail has uh, evaluated this conspiracy and be like, uh, weak binds here. Yeah, so, it's just like we're not really that compatible. Yeah. Like, so, like, what do you what do you think Edric's out is? Edric's out. Oh God. I mean, I think we already, if we're gonna say he threw Gaius Helen under the bus, that mm. seems like that's part of his like parlay of just like bowing to the emperor. Maybe. Uh... Throwing Irlon under the bus, too? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Paul probably already suspects her in some facet. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, ooh, we're, we're going to have a great uh, discussion. Next chapter, that's the one where we're going to talk about this whole setup with Irlon. Okay. I got my case for her. Um, I think I'm good. Oh. I'm good. We're gonna be in it. We're gonna be in a whole different situation. Okay. Come here along next chapter. Sure, sure. Uh, so set her aside for right now. I don't know. I think it's just gonna be like, oh, me? I'm just the ambassador. Yeah, I, I guess I, I think he would just throw everybody under the bus. Yeah. And then just be like, I'm the guild. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I'll just go back to... I mean, he just goes back to flying ships. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah, nothing... I think he's just going for diplomatic community here. Yeah, the, it's he he's risked the least, and he, like, wants to gain the least. Right. That's sort of his position. All right. Gaius Helen. 
Hmm. Now we know she wants the twins to. Yeah. Or no, I'm sorry. No, she. They're not twins. She wants. I was thinking Paul to leave. Yeah, the, yeah, the siblings, the brother and sister, to cross. Yeah, she wants that line. So, and ultimately, she wants the throne. Really, like some sort of like heir. Yeah, she ish. wants. She would love that. She really just wants the. <laughs> you think she'll just right think what she can get right think, now. Yeah, yeah. I think. <laughs> I just think we saw the reduction of what she wants. Going last to time. jail really changes things. <laughs> Yeah, for her. <laughs> yeah, I just they're like the throne. I know she does want it. Yeah, but like yeah, the priorities it's down there. Um, so she'll she'd probably be willing to throw Irwan under the bus for sure. She's already definitely. said that like you're a coin to spend. Yeah, yeah, she was totally willing to toss. Um, but she wouldn't be able to point out side tail though. No, you know what? With her, it's like how far is she willing to? Is she willing to do the artificial insemination? That's like going to be don't like. Think she would to get what she wants. Me? Oh, I don't know. I don't think she would. I mean, it was hard even parsing her words last time. I don't know if she caved on that or if she caved on the Bene Gesserit. Like, it went both ways. I don't know. All right. Irulan, I guess she has the most to sort of be like, I'm on your side, Paul. Irulan? Yeah, she could really swing either way here. Has a, a good reason to turn on the Bene Gesserit. Yeah. At least as far as, hey, Jessica did it. Does not it's, care for Edric whatsoever. No. No, no, no. He didn't win her over. Uh, I don't think they're pen pals right now. And Sidetail, they're just, they don't, I mean, they haven't really spoken at all either. That we know of, yeah. That's, I mean, oh. well, how off screen Irulan's been. And how off screen sort of Sidetail's been. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel like you do this to me on purpose, Derek. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And to be fair, sometimes it's like, even I forget where we're going. I'm like, and I get, I get a few chapters down the road. I'm like, oh, oh that's the left turn. I uh, forgot about that one. The little, you know, the machinations everyone takes. Sure, There's yeah. So yeah, many yeah. bits. So yeah. many left turns. All right. We'll leave all these people aside then. Everyone's scheming. That's all that matters. Seeing that Edric is more scared of Aaliyah, um, we have Sightail wondering, did I miss something? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like a, oh, that's not good. <laughs> he's going through the old Rolodex in the Benage Flaxloo head, and he is coy about this, but he brings up, uh, oh, you know what people say about Aaliyah? The rumors, just rumors, you know? Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it's never have philosophy and culture had such a patroness. Now, Edric, he, this, again, hits him. He is He disagrees entirely and says the Atreides only promote that which enslaves. Oh, but I dead on. I think this is a strong assessment mm-hmm. of this whole empire and how that's why Paul and Aaliyah hate it. They hate where they are. In yeah. Life. Both of them despise this empire. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. This is not how Leto <laughs> would have done it. Uh, and uh, I think Edric goes on, and I love this idea that he has of they like the idea of the literate ignorance. Lit- uh, did I say that correct? Literate ignorance. Illiterate ignorance. Yeah, that they breed it. amongst these people of just like you have this intelligentsia that have just all fed propaganda and they spit it out. It's people like Corba are all these people in charge mm-hmm. and they feel like they're so intelligent, but they're just so stupid. And that's how they love to live their lives. And uh, Edric ends this with that slaves always revolt. Because mm. that's all the Atreides do. They just put chains on people. They bind them more and more. And that's exactly what we ended up doing with the Fremen. And look how that turned out. Yeah. Of like, this is just a cyclical cycle. And now Sytail, he's gonna he reveals whether honestly or not, that he's worried that Aaliyah will marry, and soon, perhaps having offspring. Paul could choose a mate for her, which would uh, intercede on the Gola seducing her. 
That would throw a big a wrench big into wrench. his plan. Yeah. His personal plan, I think. Uh, Edric, he seems confident that this course is set, but we know he has to be fully blind, mm-hmm. right? So, like, that is he just kind of bluffing Sightail there a little bit? Maybe. What did you uh, think of this notion of Aaliyah having a child and that being what the Sightail's like worried about? It just came about? out of, like, left field. Yeah, for, I mean, well, I did tell you, what was the, uh, when we were out in the desert? Yeah. All the words we used with Leah were pregnant with. Oh, that's right. We kept using that language with her, and it wasn't just the sexual overtone of having hate there with her. It's this is another, like, motif we're building mm. into this whole series. And I, now that I got that out of the field, like, I wanted to say, just to fuck with you some more, Children of Dune. <gasps> never said oh. who's, Never said whose children. God damn it, Derek. Why are you doing this to me? It's too early in the morning for this. Too early. <laughs> so you can just get to hold on to that little nugget of mystery. <laughs> um, but, like, that is something Sightail is concerned with. Partially, I think, uh, if we don't know Leah's powers, we are not going to know her child's powers. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're just rolling the dice all over the place. Oh, my God. Uh, and then also that would create an heir. And mm-hmm. that is the same thing we are trying to prevent Paul from doing for the same reasons. Paul will then have a reason to engage with the Empire and sure. try to make it more stable than it actually is right now. Mm. Oh my gosh! Yeah, no, I'm just at a loss here. I don't have enough. I don't have enough data. <laughs> hey, and I can't look into the future. <laughs> All right, well, we'll move on then. Sure. Uh, Edric, he seems confident. Like I said, the course is set. Now, Saitel warns him, even you cannot invent the next moment. You are not a creator any more than the Atreides are, or than are the Atreides. I like that. I'm like, cool. He's telling one, put an Edric in his place. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Two, that even the Atreides aren't creators. We're all pretenders in this way. And we end up at this uh, little bit of a metaphor, right? We're like, Saitel starts talking like a Fremen of just... When you wake up in the morning and this, you know, the wind is blown, the sand is, there are no more tracks in the sand. It's all like, un, like unbroken yeah. snow is what I think of. Uh, just living up in the Northeast here. And I love it that like, for some reason, this has an effect on Edric. And he goes, untracked sand, creation. He felt knotted with sudden anxiety. The confinement of his tank, the surrounding room, everything closed in upon him, constricted him. Oh. Tracks in sand. Interesting. Very interesting of like, that seems very intentional on Sightail's part. Mm-hmm. Whatever that fucking was, like, I don't know why it has such an effect on Edric, but it like, that was what Gaius Helen built that entire building to do to Edric before. Sure, yeah. Remind him of his place where Paul closed the room on him. Like, that is really critical for Edric, and I don't know why he was able to evoke such a response. But the metaphor does make sense, and maybe it's just reminding Edric kind of of his blindness, being hmm. that we're in this sandstorm now. No one's going to know what's on the other side of it, right? It's just going to be a blank slate. Now, they say the Fremen left their footprints across the universe, and that's sort of like the metaphor, the untracked uh, right. footprints, right? And now Sightail says, another night has come. Which is sort of like, oh. I love it. So the Fremen have marched all the way across. That's still, remember how we're saying everything is finite. Yeah. A day passes. 
Their footprints are all gone. This jihad is all gone. Like eventually, new tracks can be made. Yeah, and this Fremen power is going to be gone. Something else will get to walk in and tread in that path. Maybe it could be us. Now, Sightail, ever the sympathizer, he thinks that Paul would have stopped the jihad if he could. Yeah. That's a good, you know, that's the clever insight that's that I clever, think deserves some uh, appreciation. Some common insight from yeah. Sightail. <laughs> yes. Uh, what do you think of that, of him being able to bring that up and just chime in on that? I mean, like, it brings me back to the idea that, like, he does, I think even in the first or second chapter, we talked about, like, uh, Saitel sympathized with him somewhat. First chapter, about his the meeting of the everything. conspiracy, he looked at all of them and was like, I relate more to Paul than any of you. Yeah. And I don't even know this guy. I've never even <laughs> met this dude. Yeah. And now even now he has. I think oh, I'm, I'm, there's something about uh, Hate's eyes. I think... Sightail is able to somehow learn something here. <laughs> think he's yeah. got like, like goggles he holds up yeah. and he just looks through eight sides. I think there's something. That would be pretty, that would actually be kind of interesting if like he just had a pair and he could just, anytime he wanted to look through hate eyes. Mm-hmm. But we we would have needed a chapter by now of like just observing and like looking away or something. I don't know. Yeah. The, the eyes, the eyes. What's with the eyes? Now, I love that we have this. Now, Edric, though, he doesn't quite follow. And he doesn't understand this. And Saitel snaps at him. Because, like, he's like, what do you mean? Paul could have simply stopped the jihad if he just... And Saitel's like, you can't just stop this? You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> oh, no. And it's like, thanks, Saitel. Somebody had to say it, though, right? Um, he says, this is a mental epidemic that is beyond the Moadib's control. Just, it's an infection. It's spreading. You can't stop it. You can't sure. stop an idea. I mean, it's fervor. Mm-hmm. And honestly, yeah, it's just resentment of power. Like, that is a permanent force in the universe. Mm-hmm. We will, somebody will always be there to resent the power. And if events are not handled carefully, this will shatter into bits scattered across the centuries. And that's when he's referring to, like, their whole kind of plan for doing this. And that these little after effects will be felt by everyone for centuries more, picking up yeah. the mess. Now, Sightail comes at him, like, look, it's not just a religion. And Sightail said, wondering what the Reverend Mother would say to his harsh education of their fellow conspirator. Religious government is something else. Moadib has crowded his Kizarat in everywhere, displaced the old functions of government. But he has no permanent civil service, no interlocking embassies. He has bishoprics, islands of authority. At the center of each island is a man. Men learn how to gain and hold personal power. Men are jealous. So, we before, I think, only had Korba providing insight to, like, how the Kizarat was, sure. like, dispersed about. And now you get the more cynical observation of that. Of, like, yes, there are these bishoprics, and they are the only sources of power. This is no better than, like, a warlord system that, like, I'm pretty sure that was how the Khans ruled when they had, like, the Khanates pop up sure, afterwards. Yeah. Like, you just get a cousin of him, and he's going to rule this land and be the strongest in it. I mean, that's sort of the lesson that uh, Paul was trying to impart onto Stilgar as well. They're just like, I don't have power. You have power. Yeah, he was trying to show him the sham of all yeah. this, right? Of how it all just filters down. Of Like, there is no Moadib. It's just you. There's just this dude out in the universe saying Moadib shit, but it's just him. 
Like these people, and that's sort of like what Paul hates so much. All these mm-hmm. people that worship him that don't know him, have never seen him, have never like done anything more than read his name sure. or been like slapped around by some Fremen when they showed up to do the hard work. It's awful. Uh, Edric, though, is like, look, because again, Edric, this is where he falling apart i don't sure. he, he better be deep in night cycle at this point because he's just <laughs> fucking up he's like look we can just cut the head off this beast and it will fall Sightail's like this one has two heads the sister mm-hmm. always has to be the who sister. may wed who will certainly wed and what happens if she weds mike i mean their plans are kind of out kaput no he says it will shake the universe what does Sightail know? Now, and of course, think about it He's saying that. He's the only person in the group without prescience. Yeah. And he's going to speak that poetically about, like, the ramifications of Aaliyah's child. I'm telling you, he's got to have something else going on here. Shake the universe. Yeah, or he had a real serious discussion oh, with Gaius Helen. I hope that he doesn't at all, oh, man. What? I, what? I'm starting to think, though, now, now maybe the... Uh, the siblings having a child might be more, more possible having all this like uh, mystique here through Sightail. And uh, oh, that that would be like jamming everything together, right? Yeah, Gaius Helen's plan, Sightail's plan, but then have it all come out as like this monstrosity they didn't sure. expect to be like, oh, I didn't think you'd actually do it. You thought Aaliyah was a monster. Yeah, no, you thought Paul was a monster, sure. and you thought their grandpa was a monster. What happens when they all like <laughs> pile in together? And I love that we're just sort of left with that. It's very enigmatic. We don't get a good explanation for what he knows or what he's afraid of, but it's out there. And Aaliyah is the center of so much of it. Edric, though, he dares compare his power to theirs. He says, they are not unique. I do see the future. <laughs> oh, no. Like, oh, Edric, you you beautiful, beautiful man. Uh, and Sightail cuts him down. He says, you're an infant. You toddle where they stride. And I'm like, Ooh. I feel like that puts it in good perspective. I'm like, that is so true. <laughs> but no, he's putting his flipper down. Huh? They're <laughs> not unique. <laughs> yeah, he tried. Oh, <laughs> And uh, Edric is wrong, though, in that they they are entirely unique. Mm-hmm. That's the whole, like, that's our that's our go-to line, Mike, sure. is that the Atreides are unique. They're exceptional. <laughs> They're one of a fucking kind, every one of them. I get up to the grandfather, yeah, like yeah, yeah. old Minotaurus. Uh, but this brings us to the end of the chapter. He says, you forget, guildsmen, that we once made a Quisach hot rock. This is a being filled with the spectacle of time. It is f- a form of existence which cannot be threatened without enclosing yourself in the identical threat. Moadibs know we would attack his Cheney. We must move faster than we have. You must get to the Gola. Prod him as I have instructed. And if I do not? We will feel the thunderbolt. Dun, dun. Now, one thing we got to cling on to there. Moadib knows we would attack his Cheney. So they are going to go after Cheney. It just reaffirms what Paul at least has set us on. Right. Right? Like, he's put us on this track of, like, something's Cheney is in danger's way. It was because of Irulan previously, but even, like, the Tlaxlu are aimed at her. I think there's maybe the reason he keeps seeing, like, she's going to die is there's several different ways that she's dying here from <laughs> different people. Well, well it's got like, Helen's only question. 
Did you see me do it? <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh that's, that's a really good point, though. I think that, like, they are all aimed with their own plans. Yeah. They are all assassins in their own right. There's a lot aimed at Cheney. Um, and then I love this last bit of just, you will feel the thunderbolt. Just seems like an obvious Zeus reference, It's very, right? yeah, very Greek. Yeah. Which you always got to go back to. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you, Sightail, uh, landing on that at the end. to be like, Thunderbolt. You I know, love just it. God smiting you down if we don't do something. <laughs> like, you don't understand. We're fucked. Yeah, yeah. That's what this is over. This is the end of the heist movie. This is like the beginning of Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got anything you want to pull into that chapter? Anything no, else that we missed? I was actually really excited to sort of go into all of those tangents and like uh, theories of what's going to happen here. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I thought I had an idea of where we were going. I don't know where we're fucking going anymore. Good, good. That's that's how an effective noir should go. Yeah, sure. Because mainly it's like the author is holding the clues out for you. You can't solve the mystery yet, but he's going to keep feeding them. You're going to keep just dr- It's like falling into people's pockets. Like, oh, oh, you saw that? Oh, that Fremen girl? Oh, let me cover that up real quick. Because we still don't know what she's in here for we don't know why farouk is dead <laughs> like, <laughs> that's true like, or his daughter why did farouk die yeah <laughs> oh but i'm so glad we got attached to him in book one <laughs> he was just swept under the rug <laughs> he really oh, <laughs> oh, no. oh full circle that's how he would have wanted to go all right i think we got on that one Mike. all right <laughs> to go do some taxes I know my first go at crime partners didn't quite land home. I think these are true crime partners. <laughs> these crime partners, like they're partners together. that do crime. They would be a good like uh, lethal weapon kind of team, <laughs> just Tedrick and Sidetail. But you know who we partner with? Oh, who do we partner with? We partner with Audible. And right now they're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial when they visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. Oh, what do they get with that trial? Well, when they sign up, they get one credit they can use to pick from one of thousands of titles, like Dune, my first audiobook, as yes. I, everyone's well aware. Two credits if they sign up with their Amazon Prime account. Ooh, and what are they going to get with that they're second credit, They're going to get obviously. Excellent. From then on, they'll receive an additional credit every month to help build an amazing audiobook library. Derek, yeah. we got some pretty impressive libraries ourselves. What are you listening to right now? Hey, Mike, I got an extensive one building up. So I recently went on this little internet rabbit hole search and found this list of like cool sci-fi books. And I was like, all right, oh, a few of these. And I looked on Amazon, or on Audible, sorry. And uh, I found one of them was included. And I was like, oh, glad about right now. I'm out of credits. It is called Mort, M-O-R-T, and then in parentheses that puts the E. So like um, the Latin word for dead, yeah, right? Uh, and this is a story about what happens in the war with no name. And it's sort of like the end of all human oh. like civilization. It all falls at once. And we follow this like master assassin, basically. He sort of like learns it all, this whole trade. He wasn't in the army before. He's just been drafted, essentially, in the fall of everything. And But he's not here to fight Mike. He's here to find his lost love, essentially. Oh. And we're just on the trail for Sheba. And we're going through the wasteland <laughs> searching for it. Now... The best twist to all this, Mike, is that the main character, this Mort, is a house cat. <laughs> what? He's a house cat. All the animals. Trained have, assassin house All cat. the animals have become sentient because the ants have been plotting for thousands of years to overthrow humanity. And they do it by putting hormones in the water that give animals all... Con- they can speak. They can all rationally They're all think awakened. Now. What? They're all awakened. They stand upright. They get hands. And it just happens overnight. Is so the this- cat's name Mort? 
the cat takes the name Mort. His oh. his slave name was Sebastian. <laughs> Dude, it is like this, like, if you took Animal Farm to the extreme. Animal Farm <laughs> looks like a tranquil experiment to what happens in this book. And it was just, it's so great. The opening is all, like, from the perspective of the house cat. And he's just watching this terrible family tragedy occur. Sure. And then he gets awakened at the end. Like, he gets a gun in his hand. Shit goes how, off the wall. How does he hold the gun with his tiny little no, paws? you get thumbs. Oh, they get thumbs? You, yeah, and then his claw, he was declawed, and he finds out when he meets a stray cat, and it is like, dude, they go through some really great satire oh. in it. So it's called Mort, uh, M-O-R-T, and then the E is in apostrophes. It's by Robert Rapino. It is just as incredible. I highly recommend it. It's animal warfare at its best. It's kind of like Homeward Bound with a really dark twist. Sheba is a dog. That he met. It was oh. his friend. He, she, he never got to talk to her. He awakened after she ran away. Oh. So he's going to find this dog that he You're like, right, it is homeward bound. It's so good. <laughs> That's so sad. That is kind of amazing. Yeah, you gotta check it out. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think I can't at this point. Yeah. But Derek, yeah. your 30 days are up. What if you don't like Audible? Ooh, well, Mike, not to worry. Not uh, Now, for a limited time, while supplies last, Audible will send a face dancer to your door to warn you of the coming charges if you don't cancel. Oh, yeah. That's really convenient. That's it like, was. For a while, they were kidnapping me, and I wrote them enough <laughs> letters that they were like, oh, we can just send a face dancer out. What so did easier. you say? Yeah, and he just kind of ridicules you and then leaves. Oh, that's much easier. It's, so, it's pretty tranquil. But it's still not as easy as some people get in an email. Yeah, yeah, that is easier. And, like, why do they keep reminding me every month? <laughs> like, I'm going to keep my account. Yeah. <laughs> so after your 30-day trial, they'll give you a courtesy email, see if you want to continue. And, hey, honestly, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. It's keep amazing. Going. If you do quit, you get to keep your entire audiobook library. Those are yours for life. Including those included ones, which I keep recommending yep, to you guys. The originals, the included ones, everything you have. We know you understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. We're going to help you get a free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com slash SpiceWorldPod. So get on there, guys. Use that trial. Let us know what you pick up when you head to audibletrial.com slash SpiceWorldPod. I love it. All right. I can't wait to see what today's dive is. Oh, you're going to like it. All right, Mike. Our deep dive today. We're, of course, heading back into the maker of Dune, Insights of a Master of Science Fiction, edited by Tim O'Reilly. Now, these are our works by Frank Herbert that are our throughout all time, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I got a good one for you today. Oh, We're talking farmers. We're talking the tillers. The tillers. Political <laughs> dynamite. All right, so we did the miners, now we're doing the tillers. Uh, oh, sea miners, right? Sea miners, yeah. It's all continental shelf. <laughs> Don't you dare dissuade uh, <laughs> that. Yeah, this one's going to be a little bit different, but I think it's going to harken back to that line from Edric where he says, you know, we're talking about the chains the Atreides put on everything, sure. but ultimately, the slaves revolt. You can't keep a population oh. in check. Let's see what Frank has to say. They are the tillers of the soil. They are four-fifths of the world's most oppressed people. They hold the key to any future mankind man ha- may have. In a very real way, they are the clients of Roy Posterdom, who teaches law at the University of Washington. <laughs> now, of course, like, every okay. now and then, I'm like, okay, Frank, if I was reading this current to your time, you probably wouldn't even have second guess. You'd know who this man is. Real sure. man. Roy Prosterman. He's just super famous lawyer, and basically, he is, like, the foremost expert on land law. 
and spent his whole life just helping get farmers the rights to their own land. So they aren't serfs. Oh. In modern yeah. terms, right? Yeah, like, sure. And it like, I think by all accounts, this man is basically a paragon of good. <laughs> like, there's nothing scandalous I could come up with. I'm looking into this. It seems like a really awesome job he did throughout his life. Uh, and that he definitely operated within the time Frank was kind of writing on. Um, this continues. Prosterman says, Man began his long journey to civilization on land much like theirs. Without the plowman to feed our leisure, there would be no civilization. But these tillers have been the first to suffer and the last to benefit from the civilization they support. Wars grind them into their own soil. Arrogant governments tax them into starvation. They die at the whims of weather, wild animals, pestilence, and the absentee landowners. Because most of these tillers do not own the soil which they work. Dang. So already saying, just yeah. like the absentee landowners, it's like people that own it and are never there. We're identifying the problem. Mm-hmm. In the service of his clients, Ray Prosterman stands on the dry Barini land of Pakistan. Here, as everywhere, he wants the tillers to stand with dignity on their own land. Now, this is something where, like, this was where he was at the time, and sure. he did a lot of his work in, like, Pakistan and the East, mm-hmm. and, like, caught them all their land rights. So, like, these Damn. people were, a- not a- 100%, yeah, right? sure, obviously. but, like, way better than where we started in situations mm-hmm. where people were basically being oppressed by just, like, um, monopolistic landowners. He wants to end uh, up to the dirty business of tenant farming because he knows the landless pe- uh, peasants have formed the nucleus of every bloody revolution in this century. While, the, uh, while this continues, no man can sleep safely in his own home. To learn about the landless peasants, you must go to where they toil. Prosterman is one of the world's foremost experts on land law, but before any law... There is a reason for that law, and this reason is in the hearts of the people. In Pakistan, that reasoning boils down to things easily understood. It's in water, still laboriously raised by hand from the old well. It's in ox carts and camel carts. It's in goats. The goats which turned the Near East into a desert are still busy here making desert at the rate of about a million acres every ten years. So again, that's just mismanagement of your land. There. Yeah, it's going to get something he's going to address here. But that environmentalism, you can see, like runs through everything Frank writes about. Mm-hmm. Where this is clearly not Dune related, uh, and um, I don't think I actually have a, a, yeah, I don't have a year on when he wrote this article. Hmm. I really wish I did. I'm sure someone will chime in. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's some experts out there. Always are. Prosterman's research party goes into the field, into the Barini, Barani, uh, Barani, Barini. Sounds Pakistan, good to me. <laughs> which means simply rain-fed. Oh, I'll well, use that, the translation. That, uh, <laughs> uh, but that rain is often less than three inches a year. Oh, my God. And the heat, Mike, have I told you about the <laughs> I heat? I can assume if it's only three inches a year. <laughs> On this day, the outside temperature in the shade stands at 114 degrees Fahrenheit. In the shade? Yeah, poor bastard, too. Jesus. Frank, that never got better. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's Yeah, it only got worse. Yeah. This valley of the Sown River often appears like a biblical landscape, almost incapable of supporting life. Here, you can sense an essential truth that the tiller's biggest problem often may be himself. That man may be the last animal on earth to be tamed. 
Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's just like it's just people. We ruin our own I, environments. I so really like Frank's writing style. Like, it, not just in fiction, but like the way he like prose. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. He de- he found his voice, mm-hmm. and he can, can does it so well. Except when he brings up Buck Rogers, some of his references <laughs> are like they're right up his own alley. Where I'm like, oh. is Buck Rogers always popping up? <laughs> I hope so. Well, it was just in the beginning of that just first that one. one we yeah, 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 yeah. Now, whether it comes from an ancient Persian well or a modern drilled tube well with electric pump, water is the key to survival here. Water makes the land blossom and the people content. It's no surprise that the sound of running water is required for Muslim meditation. Oh. Ah, now, definitely we're hitting on, like, things he would have learned in his Dune research. Sure. Or at least on the way to, like, him writing Dune. Prosterman will recommend that the Pakistan government drill a national grid of tube wells and manage the irrigation water to make dry lands prosper. Where the water flows richly after the monsoon rains, it does in another region of Pakistan, near Lahore. The tillers plant uh, plant rice by hand with cheap labor. Less than a day's drive away, here in the Bahraini, they plow dry fields and build their villages of adobe mud. So he's already saying, like, there's just, you have this monsoon area where overrun with rain and just yeah complete swampland almost and then you drive a day over here and it's this vast desert it's like Nothing how can, can how can we change this how do we get the water from here to there can we can we get a happy medium yeah. just a, a happy medium uh the green revolution has increased the harvest dramatically but it chiefly benefits the landowner who does not live here in hot dry barini to the landless peasant the green revolution has been a disaster now, oh. I've got to say, I do, I'm not sure what he means by the Green Revolution here. Yeah. And I couldn't find uh, something just easily to latch onto. So hmm. I, I apologize for my ignorance on that matter. Here in Pakistan, it moved the landowners to drive the tenants from the land. More than 100,000 former tenants have been displaced. The lucky few survive as cheap farm labor. Most of the others live, if you can call it living, in near starvation in the cities. The benefits of a green revolution and plentiful water do not mean much to such people. They are things from the West and suspect, and perhaps with good reason. The Tarbella Dam will be the tallest earth-filled dam in the world when it's completed. Because it will spill clear water into the downstream part of the Indus, it will increase erosion problems there. It will rob the downstream of silt fertilizer and will make necessary the use of artificial fertilizers in gigantic quantities. The dam will silt up in about 60 years, creating 800,000 acres of Pakistan's deepest topsoil, a gigantic beaver meadow. (laughs) Meanwhile... This impounded water creates electricity and wealth. It's the same story all over this region. Water, wealth, land, political power, and landless peasants who are political dynamite. Now, let me pause right there, though, for you, for the Tarbella Dam. Uh, This was cool, because this is something that did end up being created and is done. And he talks about how um, it's going to rob the downstream of silt fertilizer. Mm -hmm. So they're building this. Do you know about how these rivers bring down the fine silt? And basically like when there's flooding on the stuff, the silt covers the land. And that's usually a good way to like uh, nutrients or refreshing the soil and stuff like that. Yeah. If you build this dam, 
you're obviously stopping that. Okay. It just it can't go. Like all the dirt just keeps building up. So it's just soil. Yeah. So there's like uh I mean, I don't know the the proper terminology for it, but there's like some sort of conservation of like uh nutrients or energy from one to another. You can't just say like, oh, we'll open this up and now everything's gonna be great. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's just saying like, so we're gonna build this dam. We're going to be able to control the waters, but this fine sediment, which is basically, it's fertilizer. Sure. It's free yeah. fertilizer that annually comes down in an uncontrolled way. But because we've got to control the water, that fertilizer just stopped and it builds up under the dam. And this dam, when they build it, it has a limited lifespan because eventually that dirt builds up so much, you don't have a reservoir anymore. And right. You, you just got to get rid of it all. Right, you know, right. I think, I assume you tear the dam down. I don't know I exactly. I think you have to. Do you, di- do you dynamite it? I don't know. You, think you think it's that obvious? No, I don't know. Because uh, ultimately, we haven't gotten to the end of the dam's lifespan because they built another dam upriver, oh my which God. bought it like 40 years. So now we're, <laughs> we have silt stopping we're higher just... up. But the Tarbella Dam, it has, it's, been, uh, it's been successful. It's done exactly what it's supposed to do. It's been controlling the, the um, water flow going down river. It's built the silt up. But I thought it was really cool to be like, we haven't gotten to that 800,000 um acres of sure. land because we just built another dam to buy more time. I love that we just have like a procession of band-aid dams. <laughs> like, well, no, no, but they're not band-aid. Like I was wondering too of like, oh, is that, wait, since when does a dam have a limited lifespan? But it's, it's a process. You want that farmland. Like that's not a band-aid. You're just literally like just making a system uh, uh-huh. so you can get to the other end and have that 800,000 acres of amazing deep topsoil which is going to be so like um life producing uh and i i've never considered dams and i always have thought of them as you know i think in america most of our dams are like permanent institutions like right, right, purely right. for power and like, to build a water reservoir yeah. uh but here it's like no it's more complicated than that it's got an environmental aspect to it that's really interesting yeah that's super gnarly and i i i the concept of like how you take it down, I really want to know. Of like, how do you go about that? How did they describe it? Beaver fields, beaver meadows, beaver a gigantic meadows. beaver meadow. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that is. I don't know me either, but I'm in. I'm in. I'm in for it. So I just wanted to get the actual lifespan of the dam that I got for you. Uh, it says, however, sedimentation has been much lower than predicted and it's now estimated that the useful lifespan of the dam will be 85 years to about 2060. Whoa. You know what? Which brings us back to our previous article. Whoa. 2068. <laughs> you think he's just fascinated with that year? Well, this one he wouldn't have known. This, <laughs> if anything, he's shocked this has been delayed. <laughs> like, this dam was supposed to be gone 100 years ago. <laughs> so very cool. Uh, and basically it bought it like uh, the amount of sediment coming down is now it's 69% less since they built that upper dam. Oh. That's a much. But that just means like. You now have another farming area. Yeah. I assume building upstream, right? Interesting. Was was that their an original intention when they? No, it, they just something came afterwards. Interesting. Somebody probably pitched it. You know, like some scientist. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, this, this worked out well, or like, let's try this out. Uh, it'll just be it'll be wild to see. Like in a hundred years, like does this pan out? Do they have like this great like you know uh, what do we have like the breadbasket of America and things like that? Sure. Like, do they end up with this super agricultural region that they can work with? I don't know. I'm excited, though. Uh, the Merbella Dam. Very buy, cool. buy your land early so you can uh, give it to your... Uh, not progenitors. Uh, the progenitors are not, very... Not, not, not progenitors. Children, Mike? <laughs> children. No, no, no. Yeah, children. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So your children's children. Because, like, what? 100 years? 
three three yeah. generations. <laughs> I'm I I don't have the word either for yeah, it. No, I'm just like, I was gonna push it on. The opposite of progenitor. <laughs> progeny. Progeny? What is progeny? I think so. Okay, yeah, perfect. Now, Prosterman takes uh, his investigative team to South Vietnam. Oh, Mike, are we? Are, I hope we're past Vietnam War at this point. Uh, we're we, not. We, oh, I don't know when he wrote this. Okay, he could. This could have been from the eighties. This book would have come out in like eighty five or something. Oh, right, you know what I'm but saying? We don't, oh, sure, but we yeah, don't know yeah, when the article was written. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When Frank, oh, I don't wrote. know. That's a good point. So nonetheless, but Prosterman was able to get there, and he um, by a small plane. Over war-scarred countryside, definitely after the war, uh, to, <laughs> to a small landing field deep in the Mekong Delta. They go from the field by jeep to a nearby village, which knows the nightly terror of threat from the Viet Cong. I'm sorry, during the war. But this village, its people thronging to greet the honored visitors, is considered secure. Land reform, a system giving ownership of the land to those who farm it, a system authored by Roy Prosterman, is a reality here. No longer do the, do the Viet Cong find easy recruiting among the landless, saying, we give you land, give us your sons. The South Vietnamese know that the Hanoi government gave with one hand and took with the other. The North Vietnamese slaughtered almost 100,000 peasants, taking back and collectivizing the land which they control. All of Vietnam know this. Now, I don't know where Frank is writing this from, like I said, time-wise. Sure, yeah, yeah, So I don't know how correct his information actually is of, like, what is propaganda and what isn't propaganda sure. for both sides. Just mm-hmm. being shit America would say and shit the Vietnamese would say. So sure. I'm going to just claim neutral ground and plead the fifth here as we move <laughs> forward. Here in South Vietnam, there are new landowners, almost a million people in this region alone, who are settled on land to which they hold title. Prostermen, returning to assess the land reform program which he fathered, finds himself a much-honored guest by peasants and government officials alike. He goes from village to village, seeing the new signs of prosperity, motorbikes, stock, Rich rice plantings and fields, which no longer grow crops to be raided by Viet Cong or a greedy government. In the ordinary events of, the, of an age-old way of life, you sense the new feeling of security which ownership of land gives to these people. Water is plentiful among the Mekong. The South Vietnamese live with the river's reassuring presence. They use it as a major tra- transportation avenue, and they play in it. Mm. He put some ellipses there. He, yeah. wanted, he wanted that pause. <laughs> uh, these are the monsoon rains, gold from the sky. The rivers and its byways are filled. There are fish to be netted, people and their crops to be ferried to market. Prosterman and his team go through the countryside, reading the signs of prosperity and of security. There are many questions to ask, answers to assess. How many can now afford fertilizer? Are you using the new miracle rice? Have you <laughs> have any of you bought a bullock? I don't know a what that bullock? is. I don't know what a bullock is. It seems like some sort of cattle. Oh yeah, it's it's a it's some sort of cattle. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh chiefly oh oh chiefly British, usually vulgar. <laughs> Testicles. Oh, you're just looking up every oh, definition. Oh, that's when they say bullocks. Or bollocks. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Uh, I was like, what are you talking about? Just the definition, but a bullock is a, a steer, another term for steer. Ah. 
right. So I don't know. You think that's equivalent to saying like bullshit? Oh, have any? No, have any of you bought a bullock? So now that you have prosperity, have anybody bought a cow? Has again? anyone got a cow? <laughs> that's. So, I don't know if I'll be able to take Sandra Bullock's name. The I same, know, like, like uh, Sandy. Uh, final question: Have many of you received title to your own land? That precious title is the icon, the beautiful symbol of new of the new life, a tiller's proudest possession. And those titles come from this office in Saigon by the most modern computer printing techniques. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what this is. We're not going to go into too, too much detail. <laughs> Uh, but I love that. The most modern computer printing techniques. Mike, you won't believe what we're able to do. <laughs> it's a ink, printer. Ink, paper? My God, man. <laughs> Titles come spewing out of the printer at thousands an hour. The uh, the best of the present age enlisted to meet an age-old human demand. To live on your own land. With these titles goes a highly streamlined system of delivery and investigation to prevent corruption. Absentee ownership of the land is dying out. You see it dying right here. And with that passing, you see the drying up of the fertile ground upon which revolutions have flourished. That's a great one. That's good, right? He wrote that really well. That's a great metaphor to build up to. I'm like, cool. And you see this drying away, just tying yourself into these plant metaphors. The new times bring uh, their new problems, of course. The streets of Saigon are as congested as those in any city in the world. To travel them is to encounter as much peril as in some battle zones. The stink of carbon monoxide and unburned oils is everywhere. Except outside the city, on precious (laughs) land. (laughs) If people are to survive, if man is ever to complete that long journey into civilization... The rice must be planted. The crops must be harvested. But the land remains incredibly fertile, renewed by high water every year. And man has been on this land for thousands of years, contending with absolute monarchs and the absolute terrors of war, which most of these people never wanted. Consider Balamlak, built by hand almost 2,000 years ago to water an emperor's elephants. Oh, God, wait, what? What? What, what, Do you know... We'll look it up in a second. Okay. <laughs> and now its dike sides provide some protections for Farmstark. The stock is sheltered uh, here while less than half a mile beyond the dike, the remnants of Viet Cong forces hides in the, ma- uh, the mangrove swamp. The Viet Cong were driven off by a home guard of regional forces, not by the South Vietnamese army, but by armed farmers defending their own land. Huh. So basically, you could uh, water the farmers just their deep dikes, like you know what a dike is, yeah, like, divert water kind of deal. Mm-hmm. That now they hide their animals in while the Viet Cong are kind of out there. Like, yeah, it's able to just enclose them in. But I imagine you just need people to get above an elephant, throw water down on an elephant, <laughs> clean yeah. them up. That's great. The, the emperor, I need to clean these elephants. <laughs> Start digging. I'm gonna need a trench. Oh no. <laughs> But now, I'd love this to... Th- it wasn't the Vietnamese army. It was just these peasants, and Frank is insinuating that the only reason they did it because they had their own land. They finally had a reason, right, to defend themselves. Hmm. It reportedly was a shock to the Viet Cong, which once recruited about 1,000 men a month throughout this region, most of the recruits being volunteers from the families of landless peasants. And this is why I'm like... This sounds like kind of like a propaganda article, sure, right? Sure. Like well, you get that like, bit. We're going. We're keep. Uh, we keep blinded to the army 
We keep we keep hitting back to that thread, and I get how how could you not? But at the same time, this seems way too like uh, like a a fairy tale. I just love that like he like publishes the paper, and like some army was like, "Huh, interesting." So we bomb the farms, right? And so we <laughs> like what? Have you heard of napalm, Frank? <laughs> God. Now, even when the even when the land thrives and shows no war scars, the subtle signs remain. Prosterman's team. Interviewing a woman beside her rice field found that she must do all the work which men once did. Her husband is away in the army. It is her land, though, and she speaks easily of satisfaction about that. She is only one of the millions who no longer want any interference in their lives, from the North Vietnamese, from the United States military, or from any other foreign power. All of the ideological arguments are boiled away in the crucible of an unwanted war. As she plows her land, her body speaks of the only remaining argument, the oldest one of all. Leave us alone to live our lives in our own way on our own land. If you do that, we will not cause trouble for you. This is the argument of survival, which Roy Prosterman of Seattle finds over and over again as he defends his clients. The Tillers. Dang. That is the Tillers. Political dynamite. I mean, he's got a way of writing. I can't help but be interested in it. It's fun. Yeah. It's really fun. Uh, And I love to hold that little bit that you go through. Taking us from the region, talking about that dam. One, how that dam silts up. Very cool to me. Getting us all the way to Vietnam. Making me question, too, of like, I feel like that. I can't help but think that, Frank, he he did that time in the the military. Mm Mm-hmm. War office might have reached out to him. Like, hey, we just need one, like, flowery article. Kind of, like, paint this up. But it's, it sounds too good to be true. It, do, it does sound a little bit yeah. flowery. Looking into um, Roy Prosterman, whatever he establishes to help these people get land rights, it's still ongoing to this day. And now it's called Landessa. And that, to me, oh. sounded so, like, uh, sinister. Like, that is like um, when a corporation makes that hybrid word. Sure, like, yeah. There's no way you guys can still be up to good. <laughs> but didn't find anything scandalous. That's, like, that's not a 503C. I know it's not. <laughs> that just sounds like somebody's making money off you guys. Yeah. So I couldn't find it, though. No dirt on them just huh. yet. But I don't, I don't trust them. Because even like Frank, never trust the big guys. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. you get too big, you got you got to question it. Got to question it. I love but it. But that was really fun. I hope you enjoyed that. Well done, Derek. That was awesome. Tillers. So, I would ask you what time it is, but I'm sure you're going to tell me what time it is. Oh, it's Formacology with Farouk. Time. Formacology. Oh, this one's off the air, too, I guess. I wonder what happened. It was supposed to be another episode this week. Oh, no. Let's see what happens. Well, you know, as a master sweeper, uh, the testament to your sweeping abilities would be your ability to maintain an ant farm. Formacology is the study of ants. Farouk is a master of ants. <laughs> it's just as part of his trade. So he hosts his little show, but I, I, whatever it's not going to be on. Do you have anything you want to plug in? Oh, well, I guess we'll uh, we'll fill that primetime slot with Edric's etymology on onomatology. Yay. Uh, I know you're coming around to it. Each week, Derek, I'm going to pick a name from the universe to dive into its meaning and origins. I'm just going to give you the meaning and see if you can guess what character it is. Yeah. Dude, I'll knock it out of the park. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. You've had uh, you've had some rough spots here. Hey. Barthar took you for a left yeah, turn. Yeah, but we don't keep scores. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm constantly that's true. reminded of yeah, my failings. Exactly. Yeah, I think I got one. Like, that's <laughs> fine. All right, I can so live in a fantasy. I got two meanings. One is sort of the origin of the surname itself, and the other is sort of the origin of the word. Oh, okay, okay. So, uh, first up, the surname itself it comes from Low German, and it means basket maker or vendor. Oh, okay, okay, okay. 
Now, the other meaning, which I think is the, more the etymological one, is Greek. Everything's going back to Greek, I've, I've realized. Person with black hair. Person with black hair. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Damn it. So, clearly, I'm, I'm going to lean towards goat for something. But what is a, literally, like, what is a, would it be a Greco-German word? Like, what? <laughs> when did those two ever meet? Ah, oh, to get me to goat. That's, the thing being that probably the words that never wait, even met, just they like sound or look similar. Okay. Okay. I, I mean, pan. Right? That's what I got to lean towards for goat. Sure, sure. Uh, I don't think we have. we met anyone with pan in their name. Like, uh, help me out. You got to help me out on that part. Sure, just, sure. Just within, dude, um, don't even look at your answer. Sure, just, sure, sure. Within pan. I don't think so. No. Nothing comes to mind. And it's a surname, so I'm going to go for like a second name for it. Obviously, uh, Gurneys, uh, probably not one of them. Ooh, ooh, you know what? I'm going to, this is a weird one. Okay. I'm going to throw a Tuick. Oh. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right at all. I think it's very wrong. <laughs> but you don't have anything better. No, I really don't. <laughs> right, not even really like a better journal. Robert, Robert, help me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really don't know. Uh, yeah, to get me to goat for Greek, I think is like you like completely undid for vendor for German, which I really should probably have been reaching for that whole time. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I mean, I guess I don't know why you went. Okay, I guess I do know it. Don't make why... me explain myself. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we in a safe place, Mike? <laughs> Moving on. So, the name Korba. Oh, okay. Very nice. <laughs> Derives from the low German word korb, which meant basket. As is that a surname. still with a K? Yes. Cool. Uh, K-O-R-B. And this is low German, which I guess I'm not really familiar with exactly what that means within like the lifespan of the German language. So. It definitely implies it's a high German. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, would, I mean, it, just judging or guessing off that, I would think it would be like, uh, oh, let me look it up. So you just you just looked it up? Yeah, it's basically just a low German or low Saxon is a West German language variety spoken mainly in northern Germany and the northeastern part of the Netherlands. It is also spoken to a lesser extent in the German diaspora worldwide. So uh, lower German is more close, closely related to Frisian and English. I'm not sure what Frisian is. Oh, sorry. Uh, but I think we're just looking basically like a dialect. Okay. And then lower is like, I think we're describing a region too. Sure. You know, I know we're going to get a, a distrans on this later. Yeah, so hey, we'll, I would get that ironed out. Uh, but as a surname though, Corbo was originally occupational. And we've already talked about occupational surnames in some yeah, of our histories. Yep. And for this one, it would mean the maker or vendor of baskets. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Baskets. That's why I didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that we're always interested in when it comes to Dune is the Greek. Yes. So in the Greek word, Corbus, the nickname for a person with black hair, and it comes from the Albion, Corbe, and that means raven. Oh, okay. That, that's where the black hair comes from. So you went with goat, but we had to go with birds. Wait, so why did you tell me goat? I didn't say goat. I said a person with black hair. You assumed goat. Oh, Jesus. I'm you talked yourself into that hole. Yeah, I think I must have. Yeah. I don't know. I was just like, eh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But I looked into a little bit more. Of that. That's just the definition of it. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to see, like, okay, so let's take Korba and that name, and let's apply it to the raven. What does the raven mean in Greek mythos? I mean, in a lot of religions, the raven always represents sort of like a messenger or death. Because of its black plumage, croaking call, and the diet of carrion, the raven is often associated with loss and ill omen. Yet, the symbolism as a whole is complex. 
As a talking bird, the raven also represents prophecy and insight. Ravens in stories often act as psychopomps, connecting the material world with the world of spirits. And with Corbett's current role in Messiah, I'm totally down with that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. He's sort of uh, the voice of, like, God in a way, because, like, Muad'Dib is just like, I don't want to fucking do it. But it's entirely in a false way. I'm not saying it's real. No, no yeah, within, within Dune. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally, like, totally. No, I mean, Corba especially. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah sure. I get, within, within the myths, like, they are actually. And I think it's like a parody of that. It Korba. is, it is. Yeah. Hey, the people don't have to know that. Yeah, they never do. They never do. In Greek mythology specifically, ravens are associated with Apollo, the god of prophecy. Perfect. Perfect. They're said to be a symbol of bad luck and were the god's messengers in the mortal world. Now, that is the better tie directly to Korba. Yeah. Both the messenger and bad luck. And that really makes me think more like that Apollo uh, origin for Paul. It's got to be. It's absolutely got to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, Because what do we end up on of uh, that Korba is the actual betrayer? That yeah, that's that's this. what we know. Like somehow, Corvus going to do that. At least according to the historian, yeah, he's told us like, don't be distracted by the guild, the Bene Talaxi, oh. or the Bene Gesserit. This is the guy that does all the shit. You know, Corva. You know the dumbest thing? I'm still distracted by them though. I forgot about Corva completely. He's he's the one. Oh, Frank warned me in the beginning. He always tells you. <laughs> Frank is the fucking notorious for being like, this is the plot. All right, read the book. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Uh, continuing onward, according to the mythological narration, Apollo sent a white raven, or crow in some versions, to spy on his lover, Cronus. Now we've seen uh, Korba don those white robes, go out to talk to the people as the Muad'Dib. Mm-hmm. When the raven brought back the news that Cronus had been unfaithful to him, Apollo scorched the raven in his fury, turning the animal's feathers black, and that's why all ravens are today black. Yeah, it's that, uh, don't they bring that up in a Doctor Who episode? Um, no, I think, or no, it's they, it's it, why they make their sound. Like, it's why the crows yeah. car or something. I just remember, oh, there's something I heard about, like, why they're black, uh, having that, maybe it was just a raven myth way back in the day. Sure. Of reading through that. I remember them being, like, getting that I mean, color curve. every religion and, like, mythos has something to do with ravens. So, just a very interesting thing. And that's what I got on Corba. Hell or, yeah, that is, the yeah. fact that we were able to tie it back to the conspiracy, and then one, remind you what the conspiracy is. Yeah. I feel like it's just important going forward in the book. And it's interesting, because, okay, in uh, book one, I would have never, like, uh, tied any of this uh, to Korra himself, but in Messiah, I see, like, all these parallels within the Greek mythos itself. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you gotta get God, you gotta get Paul to God status. Sure. Which is the point of book one, right? Right, it's right, not right. until he even does the emperor bit that you're like, oh, Oh, okay, this is really like we've we've kicked it up a notch. Sure, yeah, yeah, and now you put Corba in this totally different spot. Mm-hmm. So I, it's exciting. I'm I'm curious to see if any of this will be paralleled to the book. Maybe Corba's going to die from Paul. What happens? Uh, how does that? What's the parallel? Uh, that Paulo, in his fury, scorched the raven, turning his feathers black. Okay, so I don't know. We'll see. That'll be cool. Yeah, yeah. We'll keep an eye out for that. Kind of a short episode for us. It was a short chapter. That was, I mean, that's the real it. We're going to have a couple short chapters. Right now, we're in the turn of the book. Like Mm -hmm. I told you before, we're going to check in on everybody, right? Sure. Like, next chapter is going to be, we're going to defend Irulan a little bit. Now, Irulan might not be in the chapter. She gets her her day. 
Oh, it's going to complicate my guessing game now at the end of the uh, yeah, that's show. Not, I mean, you should expect that at all okay, times. My yeah. Frank's never straightforward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we have two more really short ones, and then we'll get back into like the long stride of sure, things yeah. uh, and into the, the meat of this conspiracy. So uh, opening that door, Jesus Christ, Bruno, you're dripping it, wet. Oh, shit, there's a bat right there. <laughs> uh, make way, it's make not, way. It's not rainy. What the hell? Okay. Just the letter. Okay, what do you got? He's walking away. Okay, bye. Oh, it's a letter from Octopus Dave. Is that why he's wet? Ah, <laughs> a letter from Octopus do Dave. Do it. He's in the ocean. So, Octopus Dave coming in saying, I'm a marine biologist by trade. Oh, there you go, by training. <laughs> so, I absolutely loved your deep dive from Aside Chapter 10, where it was all about Frank's wild vision of ocean resource extraction. Oh, tell me he's got an answer about the continental shelf. <laughs> he noticed one thing that we didn't bring up. And possibly that Frank didn't even know of, or maybe didn't believe in, uh, and that's continental drift. Because, and then this is more of like a, a date thing here, because the theory of continental drift was proposed in 1912, many scientists didn't actually accept it until or after 1960. Ooh, okay. And did we get the exact date for that hearing? Yeah, this was something that Dune Behind the Scenes actually emailed us about to correct us on. I think I suggested it was 1958. And he says it believes it was 1953. Oh. And he uh, sent me a link for the text of the original hearing. So I, I totally take his word for this. He's been able to s- give me some extra information on a few things I've slipped up on. So thank you again for that, Mark. Interesting. So because like this wasn't really widely accepted by uh, science until 1960. So now that I mean that's I mean, a very small window for true. Yeah. I mean that's what like seven years. I mean that's still still a long time, right? academically I, I don't know no i mean it's just interesting yeah that it's like such a weird complex matter for them to like delve into yeah and try to even like suss out uh i would love to there are so many things i would love to just be able to interview frank but just be like tell me when did you learn about this that's really all i want to piece together it's like your timeline of learning these facts is yeah no it's just it's interesting to place it in the idea that like this is something that came after the atom bomb but only just before the moon landing that's fucking wild so like a consensus of yeah. continental drift. You know what? That explains his theory of going into, I think it was the 2068 bit of like wanting to lubricate the entire San Andreas fault. Mm-hmm. I was thinking to myself afterwards of, to me, that was indicative of that quote being like the conservative tries to hold everything in place while the other side is oh. like, let it go. Like, because if he didn't know about continental drift, to sure. me, the idea of two faults rubbing against each other is something you can't interrupt because it's a process that's ongoing and sure. it's happening. And if you put it in a point of stasis, you're just putting the, you're, you know, conservative and you're just stopping the world from progressing any bit. Hmm. And I was like, that was a really an antithesis of nature in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if now, if you give me the idea that he didn't know about continental drift, that could just seem to him that it's like, oh, that's just an error in the world. Like, oh, we need to fix that, you know, put a band-aid on it. And to me, I'm like, no, that's an ongoing process. And if you stop that, you stop a lot of the nutrient enriching aspect on a macro scale where like rocks are churning, mountains are sure. moving, like whole levels of uh, geological elevation up and down. Oh, man, it's hard to say. Like, who who knows what he was really like? 
Ah. Oh, I'm going to assume he's ignorant of it. Like, why not? <laughs> just going to assume, why not? Yeah, yeah, sure. We've been benefit of that way too often. Definitely. Let's think it to Frank. <laughs> I think the names are what we rely on for how much he knows shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, I think that, that, that it seems like a perfect reasoning for why you'd be like, oh, we could just keep this in stasis and then we get rid of those earthquakes. And for me, I'm like, no, you need those earthquakes. That's part of everything churning. Right, right, right. It's like Real- forest fires. It's like, it's a natural yeah, thing that yeah. you need to occur. Right. Like, it can go too fast, but you need some of it you can't stop it ultimately right 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 that's uh, thank you octopus dave that was really good yeah that was more than you that imagined that like, got the gears turning for us too yeah do you have any other distrans oh i just got no, a letter no i'm blown away by that uh <laughs> i forgot what we were even doing i just wanted to think we're still recording what continental drip for a second that's gonna do it for the week does anyone have a question for us do you guys uh perhaps know a wine that we could afford we're at spice world pod on instagram and twitter you can always send a distrans at spiceworldpod at gmail.com and of course there's our website at spiceworldpod.com and if you're looking for a way to support the show come join us over at our little ch at patreon.com slash spiceworldpod where you can find our exclusive Between Two Dunes episodes. Things like Amphileros, Ladies of House Carino, Trip to Gamont, several more. Oh, those are all beautiful ones. They're yeah. all beautiful. Hey, we got Twisted Mentats coming up this, this month, and uh, I'm super pumped about that, because we got to talk about a whole lot of fighter. I gotta say, I mean, Mike, that's a bit of a courtesy for you. Let's be honest. <laughs> you know, happy to do it. Happy to do it. But, Derek, what I want to know, what the people want to know, if they mm. you know are reading along with me and haven't read it before, I mean, mm-hmm. What's going to happen next week? Well, so I told you, I'm here already. We're going to Irulan's defense. Irulan's defense, but you also alluded Irulan's not in the chapter. Yeah. So who do you think is in the chapter? Either Paul or Cheney. I think it's either going to be, no, no, I don't think Cheney and Irulan would have a chapter together. I think it's going to be Paul and Irulan. Paul and Irulan? Yeah. Okay. Tell me what you've seen, Cheney said. I can't. Why mustn't I kill her? Because I ask it. Oh, that's all. Is, I got Paul, is Paul and Cheney? I didn't get it. Wait, name. is Paul defending Irulan? I don't. It could be Irulan saying don't. No, it's definitely Paul. <laughs> it's Paul and Cheney conversation. But yeah. What have you seen? I can't. Why mustn't I kill her? Because I ask it. Interesting. That's where we're going to end up. Okay. We get to the next chapter. But till then, Mike, the, the spice, spice must flow. He's telling this guy, so like this father like took the threw the dog out. He has the gun to him. He's like, "Where's Sheba?" And he's like, "The the, the dog." Like, oh my god! Where is she? It's horrifying. So I no. Mean, then so he meets these renegades. It's a fucking a bobcat that's been awakened. It's leading these stray cats that are called the Red Sphinx, and they like have him captured because the humans have deployed a virus versus him that they think he has because he was in a city going Sheba, Sheba. <laughs> it's so good. Oh my god! And it's so ridiculous.